Hey everybody, welcome to the New World Pictures Podcast bonus episode. Do we have an interview for you guys? A two-parter! I can't believe it. This is amazing. I'm Ryan. With me as always is Mark. I'm just a one-parter. And Erica. I'm the second. I'm the two-parter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Mark's the fir- front half of the episode and I'm the back. And I don't rate <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm not a part of this unrated. equation. <laughs> I'm unrated. I'm the unrated. You're the unrated. <clears throat> That's right. Always the unrated version. Um, that's right. We have got a incredible interview. For those of you who've been listening to the podcast, last year we we started interviewing people that have uh, worked with New World, uh, directed New World films, acted in New World films. We actually had a pretty good a run, and we were pretty pleased. And we're starting off 2022 uh, with a two part episode with somebody who has been with New World from nearly the beginning, at least uh, in the Corman era. Uh, to almost when New World went bankrupt. And we're talking about Tony Randall, who uh, started out in the mailroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I won't go into it because I will let Tony tell the, the story. But yeah, but I didn't, get to, I didn't get to ask him what kind of mail they got. I know. I had New that World same Pictures mailroom. Like, what like, does, were they getting? Yeah. Does, does, did, did Corman just get like a bunch of engineering magazines? Like what did his, what was his mail like? You <laughs> I know? hope he got a lot of letters from fans. I bet he did. Yeah. I bet, he mail. Did. I, I bet you it was a lot of audition tapes. A yeah. lot. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And, and scripts. I, probably I got a, scripts. Probably a couple porns. Oh, definitely. Oh, I mean, oh, definitely. For sure. Definitely. Right? That he, that he definitely. turned around and made. Right. I mean, just for ideas. You <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. Then he would take them over to the high school and show it to them and right? be like, what yeah. should we call this? Right. Right. <laughs> Do a focus group. But uh, Tony Randall started there in the mailroom, eventually moving through throughout a bunch of different uh, roles and different uh, things that he did in movies, eventually uh, becoming uh, in the new once Corman sold New World. He's continued to work for them as a director of post-production, then an, a production executive uh, where he was working on the first Hellraiser as a I- production executive and then moves on to Hellbound Hellraiser 2 as the director and starts his career as a director on that film. I also didn't get to ask him when Corman left if Corman kind of gave him that little like, hey, uh, you got a minute? Uh, Yeah, so you should look for a different job. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, like did – Because I mean I know that the the new leadership says that everything's going great and all that, but I'm just going to let you in a little secret. It's not. (laughs) It's not going well. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I yeah no. Did, how, did everyone know that the it was going to get sold? Did, was everyone did was the writing on the wall there? Because I, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know. I know. I I I missed that too. Though we definitely do spend some time talking about the Corman era. But I was so excited to talk to somebody that worked even especially behind the scenes, like actually in the building in the mm-hmm. offices of New World. This is certainly the first person that we got to talk to who worked in in this second era of new mm-hmm. world. So I was so mm-hmm. excited to kind of find out what it was like then. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because it's just, it's just something that's not very well documented. You can't, there's a lot of books on the first era of new world pictures. When right. Roger Corman right. owned it. I've been reading them, going through them. Um, I often reference them during this podcast often as well, reading my books, bringing my books, mm-hmm. bringing in my book reports. <laughs> but, um, but there's not a lot on the second era of New World, and it's uh, just an endless fascination to me. And I have a couple theories 
that I think Tony actually uh, said agreed with, which I was thrilled by. But um, not only do we have Tony Randall, we also have with him Peter Atkins, who wrote Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, as well as Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, and Hellraiser Bloodline, um, who also wrote um, Wishmaster mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. New Clive Barker from when they were young lads in Liverpool. So he is also here as well. So we had a fascinating conversation that was so fascinating and so great that it's two episodes. It's a two-parter. It's a two-parter. That's how good it is. Um, Let's not waste any more time. Here's our conversation with Tony Randall and Peter Atkins. Well, thank you guys. First of all, thank you so much sure, for sorry. for doing this. This is this is like a huge thrill for us, and uh, truly our pleasure. We're yes, so excited. Absolutely. We're so excited, and to be honest, we're super nervous. We're <laughs> super fans, so we're super nervous. Yeah, so, of course. if we're coming across like dorks, that's normal. <laughs> but if we come across uber professional and prepared, that's the super fan that's side. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's really an accident if that happens. You're talking but. to a couple of dorks here, so <laughs> you're right at home. That's good. And we're also ex- super excited because, Tony, we, we've we've interviewed a few people related to New World, but you were there for both eras. And so this is particularly very exciting to talk to somebody who sort of had a foot in both of those two distinct periods of New World Pictures' history. So uh, let's start. Why don't we start at the beginning, if that's all right, uh, Tony? You 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 attended Cal State Cal State Northridge. Were you going to? Were you intending to be a director at that point? Was that where you were? I know you were studying film. Um, um, like Stalin, I had two five year plans. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to edit edit a feature within the first five years and direct a feature within the first ten years of my career, and I did it. Oh, that's so great. I, that's great. Cool. Then, well, this has been a great interview. So <laughs> that's it. Thank you, guys. You well done. <laughs> totally directionless after that, but <laughs> <laughs> but but you had those five year plans, yeah. and you but you get uh, you're still in school, and then you get a job in the mailroom for New World Pictures. Uh, yes, um, I was a teaching assistant, and there was uh, one of the students that I was working with. Uh, it was a fellow by the name of Jason Matlin. And unfortunately, Jason died in a motor crash, motorcycle accident many years ago. But um, he was working in the mailroom for Roger. And then he, he which I thought was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just backtrack a little bit. My high school was University High School in West, Westwood. Mm-hmm. And it was just almost walking distance from the New World office mm-hmm. in Brentwood. So... They people from the New World used to just wander onto the high school campus. You could do that in the good old days, right? And and they would um, uh, survey the kids. What title would you want to see? Right. Yeah. Right. They're like, oh, I remember one of the titles was Avalanche. Mm-hmm. So I was very aware of the company being there, and then obviously being a film buff, I guess. I knew who Roger was because I'd seen his movies from the time I could watch movies and they used to terrify me, really scare me. As a, and I love being scared. Uh, films that are silly today, but I remember seeing them and just being totally freaked out, but loving them. Mm-hmm. Um, Not of This Earth, Wasp Woman, mm-hmm. those are two that come to mind. Um, Attack of the Crime right. Monster. What's that? 
Attack of the Crab Monster. Oh yeah, very scary. Interesting about that film, it, it was what I had just started being, I was in a, not, I wasn't running post for Roger, I was like the second. And one of the films we had to do a retiming of was that movie, which was interesting. It's kind of wow. funny. Uh, but they don't call it timing because it was black and white. It was grading. Anyway, um, pointless facts. Uh, so <laughs> not, James, not on this not, podcast. Not to us. <laughs> <laughs> we are locked in. <laughs> so Jason um, said, I'm going to go for uh, my, I'm going to change schools. I'm going to go to San Francisco State. And they go, well, wait, so you're leaving L.A. What about your job? And he goes, well, I'm going to quit. I said, no, what you're going to do is you're just going to bring me in as your replacement. <laughs> <laughs> Skip the interview process. Just go he right a, in. <laughs> he, was a, he was a mailroom runner. <laughs> so right. He did. And he introduced me to the person he was working for. And that's how I got the job. Uh, I was there for six weeks in that job okay at the same time they were building the effects studio for battle beyond the stars at hammond lumber which mm-hmm. was Venice. Mm-hmm. Yep. and they had some issue with the city of los angeles to do with trees and um uh, i i was sent by roger's assistant marianne fisher to figure out how to get permits so they could continue the building because of these trees. And I don't remember how I did it, but I spent a couple of days in city hall and did it. <laughs> she saw, and she thought, well, that's a, he's amazing. So <laughs> he, she, she said, you want to work in the visual effects department? And that's, that was my start. Well, and then Roger liked you because he got a two for one because you were good at mail and you were good at permits. So yeah. it was like, yeah, was keep this guy, hold on to him. So that's that's how I started at New New World. So uh, how did you how did you segue into special effects? I mean, to, I mean, it, it, you must have presented some interest or said like this is something I really want to get into. No, I, the segue from mailroom to special effects is a pretty big leap. Yeah, I, I mean. We, Pete and I come from a more humble time where we didn't, neither one of us felt the world, um, we deserved anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, sure. Probably our, our, our working class backgrounds too. So I was going to take any job that came my way. Sure. Um, and um, so it was, a, it was assisting the um, visual effects editor on Battle Beyond the Stars. And I, I took the job and in a Probably a couple months later, she quit. So I took her job. That's where I, that's, that's how wow. it happened. It was just, just fell into it. I mean, I was, I was like genre and visual effects were interesting to me. So it worked. So you just did special photographic effects. I was responsible for all the film that came in. Everything okay. on Battle Beyond the Stars, visual effects, or Escape from New York, or Galaxy of Terror, all of those effects went through me at some point, cataloging, sending out for opticals. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. And yeah, so you worked alongside James Cameron for several of these productions, including Escape from New York, which he just sort of just, just talked to somebody uh, and got got the gig for, for Roger's company. Roger didn't even know you guys were going to be doing that job. 
from what I understand. Uh, it's uh, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure how we got the job, but but uh, it sounds like Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and how was it working on Battle Beyond the Stars in those movies? How I mean, was was this? How did how was it for you? It was you know, I don't, I don't think I'd ever had more enjoyment in the business than those first couple of years hmm. working on visual effects. It was just the people were fun. We were all enthusiastic and young. And it was a different time. Um, I, both of my daughters are in the business. Mm -hmm. And I just keep telling them, man, it was fun when I was a kid. <laughs> That says a lot. <laughs> yeah. Which is the exact opposite of what my dad tells me, which is, oh, when I was a kid. So <laughs> we did crazy things and had a lot of fun. And and the, the thing about Roger Corman was he he just foolishly maybe trusted this band of kids to do the job. Pay us. And he didn't, you know, there's always this this think about him being cheap mm -hmm. he was but he paid people a reasonable rate for the time mm -hmm. never bounced a check which you hear these stories all the time it was a real company um and he gave everybody a, a, if you could handle it a lot of responsibility mm -hmm. it was a great education it was a master's degree program really and so you're doing visual effects, but somehow, uh, again, I'm just looking at your IMDb, so this could be inaccurate, but I, I see that you were a wardrobe master on Sorceress. That's a joke. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> they were looking to fill out the credits because there weren't enough. I think, oh, it was all of the names were, what film was it? Sorceress. Sorceress. So yeah, be all was, in Spanish, right? I think it was in Argentina or Mexico. It was they, in Mexico. They shot yeah, it in Mexico. Yeah, so they were all they wanted to fill it out with anglicized names and got it. That's how. <laughs> so that's how you got the credit. I was like, how do you? How are you working like at the lumber yard doing visual effects, but then suddenly ran off to Mexico to do this <laughs> yeah. film? Oh, no, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> About to say that. Speaking of too, another title that. Uh, that Corman just tried out on high school students. And that's how that title was chosen. Was, Possibly, yeah. Was how they just picked Sorceress, even though there's not a Sorceress in the entire film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so you worked with Corman though as an editor. What did, and you said that you learned a lot from him in terms of like working with him as an editor. Like what did, what did you learn from him? Pacing, definitely pacing, uh, economy of edits. Uh, he, Roger, likes editors i think of all the people on a film he's most connected to the editors because he likes being in the editing room and he likes editing right so um he you know when somebody likes you and what you do they're willing to teach you and he did in his way i mean he didn't say i'm going to teach you a lesson he would just show you know by you're working with him and you think, okay, I get what he wants. And uh, I can see how, you know, how to pace scenes, movies, rearrange scenes. He, he was very good at it. Yeah. So 
And, yeah. and you got to work with him on, you know, a number of his, it really the, the peak sci-fi time, you know, everything from Val Beyond the Stars to Space Raiders. And did I, I've always been curious. The rumors are always that there was a lot of repurposed models and effects. And of course, we know the score was reused several times over. How much were you involved in a lot of like, hey, we're just going to take this this shot and we can import it over here and it'll be it'll it'll work. It'll be great. You mean between different films? Between the different films. Yeah. So we did Battle Beyond the Stars. And then he he had um, uh, a project, um, Space Raiders. Mm-hmm. Because I had done the visual effects. It's not even editing. It's more cataloging. I knew where the effects was. So he said, just take the script and do the best you can and cut together the effects that you think would work for these scenes. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Um, and because of that, I was hired as one of the two editors of the film. And I don't know if we spoke to Bob Kaiser or not. No, or not yet, no. no. Mm-hmm. I hope you do. He's, he's, he's got stories. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, Bob and I cut... Um, Space Raiders, and Bob was the lead editor, and I was the second. Mm-hmm. And he taught me a lot also, because he was very good. He was a very good picture editor. He, he, he eventually pursued sound editing, but mm-hmm. he was a very good picture editor as well. Um, now, when Corman sold the company, you did you continue with him? Yes. I was working for Clark Henderson in Post, that was, which we called the trailer department, because mostly we did trailers. Um, and uh, Clark went over to the new company. Uh, it was called New World Pictures. Later became New World Entertainment. And right. Clark was there. He he never liked it. He didn't. Uh, I don't know if you talked to him, but he he didn't um, he didn't uh, like the corporate environment, and he he wanted to direct. So. But Roger gave him a chance to go to the Philippines and direct a couple of films. And, um, you know, it was kind of the same situation as the mailroom. He, he brought me in as his replacement. He said, you know, the, he said um, he, he, he set up a meeting between me and Bill Shields and Roger Burlidge. They were running the New World Pictures at that time. And um, it was just a very short meeting. Um, you want the job mm-hmm. run their post. So that's what I left. I, I went to Roger and I said, you know, the new world uh, has offered me to run post-production Rogers company at that moment was called millennium. Mm-hmm. There was a problem with the name um, to clear the name. So that became new horizons, but it was first millennium. And uh, so I told Roger and he said, I can't afford to pay you what they're going to pay you. Good luck. You know, that's the way he was. He, he, everybody was expendable to him, but not in a negative way. He just knew there was always somebody else that could fill in. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, you know, he was just like, good luck. I, you know, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to pay you what they're going to pay you. So that's how, that's how I ended up running post-production for New World. And um, so when you moved to the new New World, as it is, uh, how, how was it different? Was it like a different atmosphere than, than the yeah, previous? It was totally different. The, the Corman personality was gone. 
Mm. It was run by a couple of lawyers, right. Larry Coppola and Harry Sloan. Uh, it was corporate. Um, right. They had a lot more money because they were getting uh, investors. Uh, salaries were better. We were located in a different place completely. It was a completely different company. It could have been called anything else. It was, was no longer the same company at all. Um, there were not many people there who had moved from Roger. It was just Paul Almond moved. Okay. Mm-hmm. Paul was head of business affairs for Roger, I think. And he was now at the new company. That's all I can think of. So Robert Remy wasn't running it at that point in time that you first moved over or because no. he'd worked for Roger before as well. And I think in the seventies. Yeah. He ran the Cincinnati office for new world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had been at universal and he, but he wasn't there at first. It was, um, he was at Abco embassy, I think around yeah. that time. And then he, no, then, yeah. Then universal. Okay. Got it. Well, I forget who was running the company. Well, it was Roger Burledge was running the company. Mm-hmm. That's, okay. who, that's, who was, that's who was, he was the CEO, I guess. The owners and then Roger. And Bill Shields was head of marketing. They kept adding executives. And did you get a sense of like, one thing that's always been interesting because there's a lot of stuff that I've read about the Corman period of New World, but there's not very much about once the new owners took over. And it, it's always been of interest to me, the sort of slate of films that they did at the time. It, 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 I felt like they struggled to find a bit of an identity, unlike in the Corman era, yeah. which, you know, Corman had sort of a very set sort of, you know, exploitation uh, sort of over overhanging everything. And it felt like the new regime didn't really know exactly what kind of movies they wanted to make. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, they they did not make many successful movies, original movies. I think Soul Man and Angel were their two big successes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hellraiser. Yeah. Hellraiser, right. And, that, and I, I don't, I can't recall, you know, I can't recall any other films that were as, you know, successful. Now, acquisitions, some of them did well, like Godzilla 85 did very well. Right. It was also the time when video stores were taking off and they stores needed to fill up their shelves. So we sold a lot of videos. Mm-hmm. That world was gone. Of course. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Did, now, when you come over from Space Raiders and Millennium Films and then you're into the new new world, you start doing head of post-production. What, 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 was, what was the movie they were making at the time? Well, the only interim thing was after Space Raiders, I was the head of post-production for Roger for about three or four months. Um, and then what the film that when I first came over, the film, the two films that were being made, oh yeah, it was the Angel and Children of the Corn. Actually, right. both did fairly well. Children mm-hmm. of the Corn, I think, did okay too. Those are the two that were being finished. And that, that's where I sort of jumped in. Like Hellraiser, Children of the Corn did spawn many, many sequels. Many. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I find interesting, I guess, touching or, or jumping to Hellraiser. Um, when you look at the slate, as Ryan said, and there's just such a wide variety of movies of multiple different genres and everything from romantic comedies to teen movies and everything in between. It seemed to me like 
Hellraiser was such a unique, different movie for New World to make at the time. Uh, yeah, it was accidental, I think. I, I, I just, it, it happened away from the company. It was going on in England. It was just a unique situation. Yeah, they had very little studio involvement, really. I mean, Pete might be able to amplify upon that. And, uh, even though he didn't work on Hellraiser, but he was around. Right. Mm -hmm. did, did, and that sort of sort of came about and was uh, it was probably seemed as not a huge uh, like a huge gamble for New World because of the way the pound was at the time. Right. It was a dollar between a dollar forty-eight and a dollar forty. Yeah. Change yep. rate back then. Yep. And so it was very favorable yeah. to work there. Yeah. It, I, it, I remember those numbers very well because there was a lot of uh confusion about certain costs, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that you did that I that I love that you brought into Hellraiser, um is that you brought in Christopher Young to do the score, which the score is just fantastic. And you you had met uh, Christopher Young and, and used him for a lot of New World projects, but how did you first meet him? Um, it was an editor working for me um, at in Post named Leslie Rosenthal. And she was, uh, she went to UCLA and she knew Chris from UCLA and she said, he had just done this film called The Power. It might have been his first or second super low-budget film. And she said, you should go see the movie. And it was playing, I did, it was playing at the Pickwood Theater, uh, which is now, so a theater that I've gone to many times in my life. It's now Westside Pavilion, right? That's where it is, mm -hmm. um, or where it was. And... Um, I saw this movie and the movie was, wasn't a great movie, but it was an okay, super low budget film, but the score was way elevated. Um, and then at some point, I don't remember meeting Chris, but we met and then he did a trailer for me. And then he did high point, high point, right. High point and high Def point Con was a uh, Canadian uh, acquisition that and yeah. Defcon four. Defcon four. He did two of the, he did those two. Uh, I thought he was certainly a superior composer and I, I kind of insisted that he do Hellraiser. This is still when you were like the head of post-production, correct? correct? Correct. And so you get handed Godzilla 1985, which to me, uh, I just recently, I just recently rewatched. Uh, <laughs> and it is. Uh, because he owns it. Because I, I own it. Yes. I, and I watched it. Personal collection. I watched it on VHS, uh, even in 2022. Yeah. Um, it uh, this seemed like such a Corman project, even though the Corman era is over, because here you're being handed a movie and saying, let's recut it. Let's shoot new footage. <laughs> and, oh, well, I could tell you, I, you're right, because I was this is this will make perfect sense to you. I can remember sitting in a marketing meeting and Bill Shields, I can still see him at the end of the table, says, we've just acquired this Godzilla film. Now, I understand that Corman took a film like this called Tidal Wave, mm -hmm. and he shot some additional footage of Lauren Green <laughs> and put him in there. Can we get Lauren Green and do that? He asked me. 
<laughs> and I said, yeah, but why not Raymond Burr? <laughs> right. <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. And they weren't aware that of that Raymond Burr connection. I don't think they were very familiar with the Godzilla, know. the what, 1956? Was, um, yeah, the original was 54, then I guess it was okay. here in 56. Yeah, so no, he didn't have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and so did they just let you run with it because they were... They totally. They totally like, they didn't not, they just said finish it. So we and did. So you so you went about recutting it, looking at the original footage and figuring out how you wanted to put that together. Yeah, with um, the editor was Mike Spence, I think. Right. Yeah, we, we redid the film. We um, added, like the original score, but we still took some music from DEFCON 4. Right, um, which Michael Spence also edited uh, DEFCON 4, did he not? Or, or recut some recut. of it? He recut some of it from the maybe original Canadian version. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, somebody was asking me about my expense recently. I don't, I don't know where he is, but that's, um, yeah. So we we re, re, recut Defcon Four, and he cut Godzilla. Yeah, and then you hired R.J. Kaiser to direct it. Did you not think at all that you would direct the new scenes with Raymond Burr or anything? Or no, it would have been. I don't think I could have because I had my job was too involved, but. I thought Bob was was the right person because he was a very good editor and he would understand he would put it he would integrate everything beautifully and he did. But you did put together the trailer, which is terrific. The very funny the trailer for Godzilla '85. It just came to me one day and (laughs) um, I had a, a, a somebody we were working with who became a very good friend, uh, Nelson Lyon, uh, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but Nelson used to be a Saturday Night Live writer. <laughs> and um, uh, I said, I've got this idea, just write this, we're just gonna do copy, <laughs> just black on white <laughs> and one or two shots from the movie and that's it. So he did it. And the fun of it is I saw it a couple times in theaters and you could hear people saying, well, who is it? Is it, you know, <laughs> Cary Grant? Who are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> And um, the trailer was nominated as one of the best trailers of that year uh, by, I guess, Hollywood Reporter up against E.T. I mean, things like that. It's a great great trailer. Did you you get paid? I'm sure you got paid for doing all this, but did you also get paid in a lifetime of Dr. Pepper from Godzilla 85? (laughs) Somebody did. (laughs) So it's a lot of Dr. Pepper in that movie. I did. (laughs) There you go. You got a Dr. Pepper right there. Uh, uh, Okay, so now I have to ask, coming out of Godzilla 1985, how did Grunt the Wrestling movie come about? Um, I was... Uh, at a, I had to go to a sneak preview. We did a lot of sneak previews, and this was at in um, uh, Chicago. And I was at the Westin Chicago by the airport one morning, and they had a television in the bathroom, which was cool. Yeah, I, yeah, turned, yeah. I turned it on, and I saw WWF at the time wrestling. And I, as a kid, I loved wrestling because I thought it was so funny. It was really, you know, and um, there was a lot of it in Southern California. And, and um, uh, so I thought, oh, and I, I sort of started taking note and how big it had it was becoming. And that's that's how wow. um, the film. 
I don't know, it was not marketed well, it didn't do well, but looking at it in retrospect, it's quite well done. And it has it has a little bit of a cult following. I yeah. just recently watched it and uh, I, I, I it has, it's sort of the spinal tap for wrestling in a way. I mean, they're trying yeah. to make a documentary <laughs> and I have to say the, the, the scene where they're talking about different ways that they can remove tattoos is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He was a real dermatologist, that guy. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> uh, the whole, like, one one strategy is they remove and replace the arm itself. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It, was it at all inspired by also, there was another in 85, a document, wrestling documentary that New World put out called uh, I Like to Hurt People. <laughs> yeah. So Donald G. Jackson, who's also a bit of a character, is also unfortunately no longer with us. He did this documentary um, back in Michigan and he showed it to me and I, I brought it to the attention of the acquisitions people and they bought it and we finished it. And that's how that came about. Did you also discover Rollerblade, which was his other movie of that time? No, that was after. No, I never. That had nothing to do with. I don't think it had anything to do with New World, did it? Roller, yes, uh, New World released Rollerblade. Oh, yeah, I was not involved with it. Okay, and eventually also Hell Comes to Frogtown, which is I yeah. think, the movie he does after. But yeah, that's 88, maybe? That. Yeah, Bob directed that and uh, Bob Kaiser. And um, uh, yeah, we developed that for... Um, it was actually uh, Don Jackson, who was the co-director and creator, wanted... Tim Thomerson, but we wanted somebody else, obviously. And I think that was a wise call. Once again, a film that didn't make a lot of money, did really well in video, but mm -hmm. it, but it has cult status now. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Unfortunately, I think I've made a lot of films that have become cult status, which means they didn't make much money. <laughs> <laughs> and that stars a wrestler. So it was another yeah, wrestling Roddy, connection. Roddy Piper, another person mm -hmm. who's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, unfortunately so yeah um but it was a big it's a big wrestling year you're really on the on the yeah. on the cusp forefront of like the yeah. wrestling yeah exactly um well my so, wife my wife knows i love wrestling which she's really embarrassed about do, do you <laughs> are you still do you still enjoy it no but i love watching videos on youtube about past wrestling mm -hmm. right yeah. right so it was after Godzilla 85 that you get uh, you become a production executive for New World at that point? Yeah, um, Godzilla did very, did really well, sold over 100,000 videos. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so Bob Ramey now was running production or running a company, actually. And he called me into his office and said, do you want to be a production executive? And I said, yeah. There it was. There you go. And and the, of the movie, I, I'm wondering what other movies you you uh, you worked on as a production executive. But I know one of them was um, uh, Reform School Girls. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what that production was like? Sure. Uh, Reform School Girls was a production that was completely driven by home video. Uh, Roy Cox was the um, head of video at that time, I believe, and he wanted this movie. Uh, and I was assigned to it and um, met uh, the production staff and uh, or the producer director and Tom DeSimone, uh, the director, Jack Cummins with the producer. 
And um, we, we did this film under the radar again, very little interference and it did extremely well. Yeah, but it was like the, you know, these bastard child, you know, the, the, the hoity-toity part of production wanted nothing to do with it, but I was willing to get in the muck and do an exploitation film because I had come from that background and uh, it did really well, it did better than the other things that they were doing there at the time, actually, which was a bit of an embarrassment, I think. Um, yeah, like there, we had just recently uh, done a, a, we we did an episode on Crimes of Passion and we, in it, uh, I learned that Jonathan Axelrod had, was kind of hoping to make more sophisticated films mm-hmm. at New World. Yeah. But I then started looking at the slate and I was like, I'm just wondering when this sophisticated film started popping up. <laughs> well, <laughs> Crimes of Passion, I, I, I don't, I mean, I have a lot of bad memories from the film because it was, it was a difficult film in post. There was a lot of squabbling going on. Right. Uh, uh, X rating. Yeah. Yeah. The rating. And and, um, I, we had a lot of, you know, getting the color timing correct was difficult. I had to watch the film many times in the lab. I can't tell you how many, I mean, it was like, Another day of watching. Erica sympathizes with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, so I got really sick of that movie. I mean, I just, yeah. I, yeah. And it was, it was an attempt to be more sophisticated. And, and Ken Russell was obviously a still serious guy. And, yeah, and, right. But I, never, I was never quite sure whether he took it seriously. And Rick Wakeman did the score. <laughs> and the score was, was, the New World Symphony, and I always thought he was having a joke. Right? <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yes. I yes. It sounds like he was like, okay, you're going to pay me to do this, but oh, I'm going to going to play with this a little bit. Like yeah. the the yeah. that that pop song that comes up, you know, at the end of the movie, and, and I think they made a music video out of it too. I and I, I it's not a good song. <laughs> like I, it, I don't remember it. I put it out of my mind. Yeah. I, I'm going to block it out. I was a huge Yes fan. And yeah. I thought, oh, well, yeah. Rick Wakeman. I thought, oh, my God, this is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> what a terrible score. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not so great. Yeah. Um, but I wondered, like, what, so were there, like, some people at working at New World that were hoping to kind of go in a sort of more sophisticated uh, yes. way? Not unlike when Roger Corman would release a lot of, like, foreign films mm-hmm. right. as well. But yeah. I, I, I didn't see that really pop up. But I, it, was there a push and pull there behind the scenes where they were wanting? Yeah. Uh, because yeah. reform aspirations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah. reform school girls seems like an odd one. Then when you're looking at a, a at a more refined <laughs> slate of sophistication, <laughs> it seems like an odd one then to throw into the mix. You know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we did um, another one of the films I was assigned to was called Pretty Smart. Yeah. And um, that was noted for the introduction of Patricia Arquette, her first mm-hmm. movie. Um, Pretty Smart and Soul Man tested on the same night, different cities. Pretty Smart killed it. The audience loved the film. Soul Man, not so much. But they weren't going to get behind this little teen sex comedy. Mm-hmm. So... They, they were aspiring to do mainstream movies. Okay. That's not what they wanted. That's what they... They, they prefer the sophistication of Soul Man. 
Yeah. So Hellraiser sort of falls into your lap a little bit and it's being done in England. And obviously, I mean, it, it does pretty well, right. In in the theaters, I, when it came out, I absolutely loved it. So um, it was now we just ranked all of our favorite Hellraisers. We went through all of the sequels. Um, but, and, and I'm not, I'm honestly not, uh, not trying to, to brown nose here. Hellraiser two is my absolute favorite of yeah. all of them. Um, but how quickly after Hellraiser was the decision made, like we need to make a sequel. We got to, let's get this going before it was released. So you knew already, like, this is going to be huge. We need to, we need to capitalize on this. It was all part of my grand scheme your <laughs> your second stalinistic five-year plan I was getting, it was about eight years in and i knew i had to get moving um and and you also at that point in time and this is this is in post you decided to do the second one but this is also when were, were you not the one responsible for going back and and getting new world to get more money and redoing the sort of frank rebirth sequence in hellraiser uh, yes <laughs> the money thing is kind of funny <laughs> I I don't know. Anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they did add more money to to shoot the sequence, but is what I they mean. did. I don't think they understood why that happened. <laughs> okay, okay, it's I a great sequence though. The the account of New World walking around for days with paperwork, under not quite understanding how this extra money got allocated. <laughs> But I think like that to think of that movie and not have that sequence, like I just don't know how that movie would not. I mean, without it, I just I, I can't imagine it. It just seems so integral to that film to have that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just it was kind of an obvious thing. And and uh, I just thought the film needed m- more horror elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just to be, and that's pretty much what Steve, Steve White, who was president of production at, at the time, that's what he wanted. He, he he just he he wanted more horrific stuff. And then mm-hmm. I just once again, you know, they sent me to England and I wasn't being monitored. So that's what happened. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now I read a story when we when we were talking about Hellraiser uh, recently that, uh, and I don't know if this is made up or not, but I read an interview with Clive Barker who said that three people from New World came over to see the production, and uh, they were all wearing Burberry suits. And he planned a big bloody sequence for them when they showed up. And one of them got splashed with the blood and they all left. Now, I assume that isn't you. Uh, yeah. And I'm not even 100% of that story is true. But that, that's, a, that's something I read from Clive. I don't know if that's him just having a laugh. Pete, how was our dress when we met? <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention Burberry suits, uh, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can backtrack in a minute and, and talk. The th- I know that both Tony and I dreaded meeting each other because we each had an image in our head of how much we were going to dislike or, or not click with the, that person. I heard, uh, I guess I was two drafts in to the th- and they said, you know, we knew this guy, Tony Randall. He was an executive on the first movie he's going to direct it and he's going to come over. And all I heard was executive. So I thought I was going to meet some asshole in a suit <laughs> who was only thinking about the money. 
And apparent, apparently Tony, having read uh, my second draft, thought he was going to meet some tattooed street punk with an attitude. <laughs> and so I, I went from my hotel to his hotel and I knocked on his door thinking, fucking executive, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and Tony opened the door and we were basically the same guy. Um, he, I mean, to, to answer his question directly, I believe I am correct, Tony, in saying you were wearing pretty much what you're wearing now, Pretty much. Is long sleeved sweatshirt and sweatpants. Um, I was a little more stylish than that. I think I had jeans on. But, um, but yeah, we but were actually, this is Tony's favorite time of the year. For five and a half months every year, I'm a year older than Tony. So, uh, so he's very happy from November to May. He likes to rub it in because uh, he's still a male out of sixty-five. The next oh, so we're essentially the same age. We would, we would have been in the same school year, mm-hmm. and we we hit it off almost immediately. Um, we really found we were the sort of British and American equivalents of each other the music we liked, the movies we liked, the comic books we liked. So um, so I'm, I'm pretty sure Tony was not a Burberry suit-wearing exec who would have been frightened <laughs> of a bit of blood. I've known Clive since 1974. He likes to tell a story, yep. as, as you no doubt know. I, yep. I suspect that's, uh, that's as true as the stories in Books of Blood. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I wondered. <laughs> I, I had never heard that story before, so I don't I don't know who was even there. I mean, I can't think of I don't think any executives from New World were there before me. I, so okay. I, That's I only you, wasn't it? I mean, you were the one. Well, nobody came over with you on that trip or the next. Dave Saunders, David Saunders did later. Yeah, he's English though, right? Oh, yeah, right, right. But he wasn't well, he he was based not. over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, David and I were the two executives on it, mm. and he had a lot to he he had a lot to do with it as well. He he's I've, I've always said David Saunders has sort of been forgotten in all these stories, and they mm-hmm. they've done. Um, who was the last documentary when I swore I would never do another one? Leviathan. Well, it was the one before that. No, 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 no hell. Anyway, I said you have to interview David Saunders, and they did. I'm not sure. If no, I think that was Gary and the guys from Leviathan. I was think it? I was it David, David Saunders and Steve White were interviewed. I I just I I I don't think he's in Leviathan, having just oh. watched both right. of them. But I could it's be wrong. Before. But I don't think they're in it. There's a documentary that was made before that one, where he is. It was supposed to be the definitive one. David Saunders and Steve White are interviewed because I insisted. I said, there's more right. to the story than but, me. I mean, there's other people. Was right. that ever finished? Wasn't that the one that Ryan Rotten or Ryan Turek, as, as we're now uh, obliged to call him, isn't that the one Ryan Turek was making? I don't think that ever got finished. I don't, it, I, you know, I never pay attention to these things because I won't, I just don't. I won't watch myself on camera anyway, so. The, um, um, the very first, well, Tony's name had probably already been in the trades because he had been an executive, but the first time we had our names in the trades in Variety and the Hollywood Reporter, 
There used to be newspapers, daily newspapers for the film industry. I know you guys are young. Um, <laughs> My God, who thinks we're young? Oh, this is amazing. Already, this is going really well. We're so already far. nailing um, it. Uh, <laughs> and so, so suddenly, you, all your life, you hear about the Hollywood Reporter and Variety. And mm -hmm. there we are. You know, production is announced on Hellbound. Roni Randall and Petre Atkins. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> Like one, it would have hurt. Rony, <laughs> delicious. Both of us, Rony uh, and Petre. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow. So, so that's got to be framed somewhere, right? <laughs> it is in a storage box in mm -hmm. in a closet just across the room somewhere. Yeah, it's a big moment. A big moment. Well, for what it's worth, none of the three of us have ever been in Variety or the Hollywood Reporter. So, <laughs> well, they don't exist, do they? I mean, there's uh, only there's online, yeah, stories. just virtually, yeah. 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 And that's part one. Man. Wow. What are, what are we going to talk about next? Ugh. Where do we I, go I, from here? I'm so disappointed. I didn't get to ask Peter Atkins if he if Clive ever said to him. Do you think that's fucked up? <laughs> Guys, let's be I mean, honest. We could we could record a third episode just of things we wished we had asked. Oh, my God. But you I, know this what? is true. Tune in for the second halfer to find yep. out and hear what we did ask. We were lucky enough to have a second part of this episode, but boy, we could have asked them a million things. It could have been a 15-parter as far as we were concerned, <laughs> but we do have a second part. It's going to be in about two weeks, so make sure you check back and listen to that. But we're also going to have another movie we're going to review for you next week. It's going to be super exciting. You're going to want to listen to it because we are talking about Black Moon Rising. Ryland Enterprises. Chairman of the board, Edward Ryland. His business, transportation. Illegal transportation. The last time someone took something from him, they turned up dead. But Mr. Ryland just made a big mistake. He took something from this man, Sam Quint. We'll see you next time on the New World Pictures Podcast. Bye, everybody.